Jai Swami Narayan, Om Namo Narayanaya, Namaste. I think we're going live. Hopefully this week is better than last week, which was really pixelated. But if it is pixelated, please stick with me and you know just put the video down on the bottom and just listen to me. Before I go any further, let us chant the Swami Narayan mantra seven times. So Om Shri Swami Narayana Ya Namaha. Om Shri Swami Narayanaya Namaha 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 Welcome whoever you are whatever your religion welcome Today, we're starting a new series as part of my live stream. I'm very excited about this. A little nervous, but very excited. And this series is going to go on for quite some time. So I'll do a video today. We're actually not going to finish it. So I'll continue it next week, but then I'll take a few shows to do some other stuff. And then we'll come back to the next bit take a few shows, come back to the next bit. So this is going to be a long journey, but I hope a, uh, hope a positive one. Before I delve into this, I should note, YouTube informed me that this week is the one-year anniversary of this YouTube channel. And thank you. Sincerely, thank you to all of you who have tuned in and who are watching this and watching this now, and, and thank you for coming back. For whatever reason, thank you so much, whether it's for these live shows or the scriptural readings I'm doing. Thank you. I started this channel a year ago hesitantly. I just knew I had to read the scriptures. God told me, I had to read the scriptures. I can remember a voice in my head going, dude, wake up. You got to read these things. Or in so many words. And it felt like if I ignored that voice, God was going to be like, yeah, I'm done. I, you're not doing what I need you to do. You need to delve into the word of God, my word that I have put in text. You need to read this. You've read the books of the other religion. What are you waiting for? And I was afraid. I didn't want to do it. I knew there was books I was really excited to read. I, like, who hasn't wanted to peer into the um, Mahabharata or the Srimad Bhagavatam? Let's be honest. Even the Kama Sutra. We all want to know what these books say. 
but they're big and they're huge and they take forever and it's a commitment. And I was afraid. And the voice just kept saying, you got to do this. And I was like, okay, but if I'm going to do it, I want to really make the most of it. So I decided to do it here on YouTube because it's one thing to sit in your house and you read a book when you got two cats, a girlfriend, TV's on. <laughs> and I live in a two-room apartment. It's really small. We're, we're really tight here. And if I want to make a private phone call, I have to go out for a walk. If I want to talk on the phone after 9 o'clock, I can't. She goes to bed, and she's 8 feet away, and there's no door. I have to pass on things because I know it may disrupt somebody sleeping. Uh to have friends over is nearly impossible. We, we actually don't. There's literally no space in this apartment. And to read, I would have to put myself in the bathroom, you know, and, and read the book if I wanted to be alone. But I thought if I make YouTube videos, I can do them when she's at work. And the focus, except for traffic or cabs, the focus is I am forced to be focused here. So that that helps. Um, also, uh, doing it on YouTube, I've promised all of you, I'm going to read the scriptures. We're going to do this. So I can't set a book aside for six months. You know how we all do it. We start a book and then we don't get so interested and we set it aside. No, I'm making a commitment to you. We're going to read the scriptures and we're going to do it. So I have to finish it. I have to read the book. So I also thought if I put it out there, we can communicate and we can learn and we can grow together. And I know I have grown so much in the year since I started this channel. I can't put it into words how much I've grown. I'm actually embarrassed when I watch my old videos. The only problem with this channel is that because I'm recording when someone's not home, I can only record at certain times. And so on a Saturday afternoon, like, well, it's 10 o'clock in the morning here. After I do this show, I will then record a couple videos, and that'll be it for the week. And maybe, well, tomorrow she's will be home, so I won't record. But I happen to know in a couple weeks from now, I'll have both Saturday and Sunday. So I'll record like a bunch of stuff. Well, by doing that, I'm actually recording as much as I can, when I can, and programming it out. So today, the videos I will be recording, you will not be seeing until uh, July 2024. That's right. The videos that are going up right now, and the Upanishads have just started, have just been rolled out on the YouTube. If you're on my other sites, BitChute, whatever, uh, it, uh, uh, BitChute, Spotify, and Anchor Podcast, it'll be a while before the Punishads go out there. Those videos you're gonna you're seeing now are like six months old. And sometimes I'm a little embarrassed to see them because I'm like, oh my god, that was me six months ago. I've changed, but such is the way it is. So this has been just an amazing journey, and I'm always working on how to make it better. I really do spend time on this planning it out and rearranging things and going, what can I do? Got a new microphone. Hopefully it's good. It's got a nice light. <laughs> I don't know. If it's not good after today, we'll return it and just try again. So I'm really trying for something here, and, and, and I hope you like it. I hope you find value in it. 
And if nothing else, this is just me offering to God God's words and spreading them out. And, and I truly believe that a belief in God is a desire to improve yourself, and a belief in God keeps the darkness out. So this is, this is one of the greatest things you can do. And I am just a servant of Krishna, and Krishna has told me to put the darkness out and keep the darkness out by reading the scriptures and growing myself and letting you all in, even if it's scary. So uh, welcome and a sincere thank you on my one-year anniversary. And um, I'm not here to get rich. I'm not here to become famous. I had another YouTube channel, which actually had like 300, 400-something subscribers and I thought was going to get monetized. I would still be on that channel if that was the goal. My goal here is just to spread the word of God. Yes, uh, money would be nice, pays for books, uh, you know, helps me continue. It would be nice to grow the channel so I can reach more people. But that's, that's it. I just want to spread the beautiful word of God. And today we're going to be delving into a new word of God, something new, or, um, or if it's not new for you, hopefully enjoyable. So today starts a new series, as I said, for spiritual seekers. Now, the series is readings from the Vachanamrut, the book I've been holding up here, uh, the spiritual discourses of Sri Swami Narayan. It is a series uh, of, of talks in here in a particular order, because this book is just in chronological order of 10 years of talks. It is a series that was given by Aksha Brahma Gunatitanan Swami, one of the successors of Bhagavan Swami Narayan. He gave this series out to a couple students and said, here, here is something, here is an order that you should read parts of this book. Of course, you should read the whole thing. This is a great book. I read it every night before I go to bed. But here's an order for spiritual seekers, and it's and and here's a bunch of talks. Read them in this order, and then get back to me. And I I came across this and was overwhelmed by it. I thought this is amazing. This is great, and I want to do this, and I, I'd like to do it with all of you. And um, it's a lot of readings, so it's going to take us a long time divided up into 13 categories of spiritual growth that starts off seemingly simple. I say seemingly because it's deceptive, and it just gets deeper and deeper and deeper. I, and as soon as I saw this, I was like, I, I've got to do this. I've got to do this, and hopefully this will be a worthwhile endeavor. And I hope this will be a worthwhile endeavor for whoever you are whether you are a spiritual seeker or a mumukshu or uh, part of the great family of Sanatana Dharma, or maybe not. Maybe you are a Buddhist. Maybe you are a Christian, Muslim, Jewish, whatever. Zoroastrian, Satnat, Ekankar. I would like to think what I'm going to start today will be good for whoever you are. Of course, this is from a Sanatana Dharma tradition. So if you don't like <laughs> that path, you may 
lose your interest. But I would hope that you would stay focused and and because I, I've looked through this and I've already, you know, before I decided to do this, I did a I did read through some of it and it was like, yes, this is this is for everybody. Now, spiritual seeker. What is a spiritual seeker? I thought about whether we should talk on that for a few minutes. But then I'm like, no, I want to keep the door open on this channel. That's kind of how I lead this channel is I don't just speak to those who are following Sanatana Dharma, but I'm speaking to all of you who know God or want to know God. Spiritual seeker for me, though, means you want to know God and you actively are working on that. It does not mean that five years ago you watched the special by Deepak Chopra and that was it. You've never thought about religion since, except when the uh, in politics, but then you shut off the news because you don't like to hear about it. I'm sorry, you're not a spiritual seeker. No more than I am seeking to be a great accordion player, even though I don't know an accordion, don't know how to play the accordion, and don't even listen to that music. You wouldn't call me a seeking for the accordion. I'm sorry. That is my cutoff for spiritual seekers, though. So if that is your take on religion, honestly, you might be the one group who may not be interested in these videos. Because I am looking for serious folks here to join me in this growth, in this, uh, in this uh, track journey, excuse me. Looking for serious folks. Are you serious? Because it's going to be a big journey. It's going to be a really big journey. <laughs> I think I'm partly psyching myself up, too. <laughs> uh, this is going to be big. So I've done a long introduction here. So let's dive in. So the first thing we're going to be reading today is Vachamrutam Gadhada 1, 18. But we're not going to read all of it. It's just too long. And this introduction's gone long, like I knew it would. So we're only going to do the first part, and then next week I will pick up with the second part. And then we'll wait a few weeks and then go on to the next Vashamrutan in the list of it, that was recommended by Swami. So today, uh, unlike what I did like last week and, and some other times, I'm going to read a bit and talk and read a bit and talk. Though honestly, my words are just... They're, they're nothing. I, I, if I should just read this and then it sit in the air, honestly. Is it, that's how this book is amazing. And these are the words of, of God. And, and I, I really can't add to them. They're, they're just unbelievable. And, I, and I, if you get value out of what I say, wow. Because I, I, I'm in awe just thinking about and just looking at this. And, and every night when I read, I, I'm reading the words of God. And so if you don't know this book, you, you should check it out. Also, I'm reading from the Sri Swaminarayan Garukul um, edition. There's multiple editions, but this one is just, uh, I have three of them myself that I go back and forth on, but this one I just figured is, is good for a general audience who may not know a lot of the terminology and whatever, keeping it kind of basic. Okay, here we go. Vachamun, Gandahara, one eighteen. Swami Narayan was seated on a wooden bedstead laid in the open space in front 
of the veranda of the hall facing the west in the early morning when the last quarter of the night was still to go in the darbar of Dada Chakchar in Gadhada. He had put on all white garments. Then he called for the saints and the devotees and sat before them engrossed in deep thoughts for a long time. And then he began to address the assembly. He said, Listen to what I say. I rather feel like not telling you, but you are all dear to me. So I have decided that I must tell you what I think. Only those who understand what I am going to say now and act accordingly will be freed from the bondage of Maya. Without such understanding, even if one studies the four Vedas and the six scriptures and the 18 Puranas and the historical volume like the Bharat and understands their meaning or listens to them, from others, he is never going to be free from the bondage of Maya. I want to pause right there. Maya. Maya is a word we throw around. Oh, Maya, Maya, Maya. Everyone talks about Maya. New Age people talk about it. Non-religious people talk about it. Um, you know, Buddhists, Hindus, whoever, they all talk about it. But I don't think a lot of folks truly understand it. And I don't think they've contemplated it. And I don't think they've broken free from it. I have a video uh, that's uh, either coming up or it's something I've talked about in a couple of videos about Ramanuja Acharya and Adi Shankara and their views of Maya and how different their views are. For one of them, uh, Adi Shankara said that Maya has many layers. So you break one layer, well, you still got another, and you got another, and you got another. Ramanuja Acharya, which is more my tradition, said, no, you just got to break one big layer, and then you'll be there. I would like to say Ramanuja Acharya is right, as he's the teacher I turn to and not Adi Shankara, but he might not be, I don't know, because I certainly have lots of Maya around me that I am trapped in, as everyone in this earth is trapped in, I'd say most of us are. But whoever may be or may not be right, it is interesting to contemplate both of them and to consider both of their ideas. So one is like, you've got this thick wall and it's just going to take forever to break. The other one's like, no, nah, there's a lot of thin walls. It's still going to take forever, though. But you got to break, break. And that's interesting to consider how that might affect your life. If you are actively looking to break from the Maya around you, are you facing one big, huge hurdle or a lot of little, little hurdles? Now, human nature says that it's probably easier to work a little bit at a time to tap away. I talk about this every so often on this show. So if we see Adi Shankara as being right, okay, we can break this Maya and then this one and we just tap away and we can have a moment to breathe. The other one seems like it's impossible. On the other hand, if you just break the whole thing, then 
well, you have realization. But there's very few that achieve that. And I don't actually think anyone can ever truly break that whole thing. Or maybe there's very, very, very few of us. Besides that, though, I see so many folks who talk about Maya. Oh, you must Maya this. And, and then they often say, well, I am above Maya. Or I'm below Maya. And I am whatever. I've read Adi Shankara. I've read Ramana Jayasharya. And they don't talk about being above Maya. You have transcend. They don't talk about transcending Maya like the New Agers do. What they talk about is Maya is so strong that quite often your transcending of it might be just part of it. That's the trap that's really easy to fall into. It's really easy to say, oh, I'm above that. But you're not. You, you're really not. But to then say to yourself, and to be honest with yourself, and to go, well, you know, actually, I'm not above it. To me, at that moment, that might be the greatest thing you could say. At that moment, you might go, no, I'm really not above Maya. I'm really quite trapped in it. You won't be untrapped in that moment. The heavens won't open up and, you know, sun won't pour down on you. You won't achieve necessarily enlightenment in that moment. You won't break through enlightenment, but you will have something even more valuable than the person who says they've transcended it. You will have awareness. You will have self-awareness. And that, to me, self-awareness is one of the greatest things we can have, even if that self-awareness says, I've failed, or I haven't broken free of this. At least I'm aware of it, and I'm not deluding myself. Because when you're aware of it, that, for me, is when you really start working at it. Not when you've declared it, oh, I'm good to go. After no work, I broke through it. No, no. Self-aware. I would honestly, I would rather have self-awareness and be wrong than say I'm right and have no self-awareness. You see this in a lot of teachers, though. I see this in a lot of spiritual believers. They're right, but they lack self-awareness. Or they say something like, I have transcended Maya. And then they turn around and go, um, Woke liberals are assholes and illiterates, or they say Trumpsters are all horrible, or they say, for my Indian followers, um, um, Modi is anti this or whatever. I'm like, well, you do realize that political speech is really just part of Maya. So how have you transcended? So you've transcended in your religious spiritual world in your living room, but when it comes to other stuff, you really haven't transcended it. That's a lack of self-awareness. It would, I would rather be in a place myself where I'm like, no, I haven't transcended it, I know it, and it sucks. At the same time, well, you know, Modi, you know, honestly, I don't know my opinion on Modi. I'll, I'll confess. Or, or, you know, I said that about liberals, but I realize it might be wrong. Or I said that about Trumpsters, I realize it might be wrong. I don't have the answer. And that's depressing. I don't have the answer. But to me, that's more fulfilling. Because then I can actually start to look for the answer. If I have already achieved something, I've already broken through Maya, and I'm so self-confident, I'm not looking for the answer anymore. I've got the answer. I'm done. 
and everything that fits with my answer goes in and everything that doesn't fit is bad. No, no, I'd rather be lost and confused, but I know I'm lost and confused. Because then that's when you really start learning and growing and, and, and building. And that's when you start transcending Maya because that's when you start seeing yourself and you start to see who you are and you start to see your beliefs. And I speak from experience on this as someone who has gone through oh some tough times and and been broken, really broken, and uh, really struggled to find myself. And a lot of times I came up with something where I'm like, I don't have the answer, and that's scary. But at the end of the day, I have books like the Vakshan Mutam and the wonderful Srimad Bhagavatam and, and other great texts that help me find the answer because I'm willing to be open to them. And I have enough self-awareness to go, I don't know. I'm embarrassed to say that sometimes. But anyways, Maya, we can say we're above Maya, but really we're not above Maya. That can be the trap of Maya. I would challenge you to look at yourself and to ask yourself how Maya is affecting you. It affects all of us in different ways. A lot of what I've been speaking about is really coming from my own experience, of course, but Maya is a tricky devil. <laughs> I'll, just, I'll just put it like that. And to say, well, I've broken Maya, and then turn around and say something else that sounds like you haven't. You have Maya... I think it's more complicated like that. But again, like I said at the beginning of this, we don't really think of Maya that we just throw around the world. Sorry, we throw around the world. We don't think about what Maya really means. Does it mean a brick wall? Does it mean lots of little walls? Uh, or if you want to dig deeper into Maya, who creates Maya? Do we create Maya or are we reacting to it? Does God create Maya? Does Maya come from God or is uh, Maya something separate? Well, when you ask yourself those questions, when you look for the answers in the writings of Ramana Chakshara, Adi Shankara, the six Goswamis, and others, well, I, I think that's a good journey. I think that's a good bit of homework. If you haven't, investigate Maya. Really investigate the word. And I'm not even considering it in like the Buddhist context or whatever else. I think, I think it'll ex explode your mind. Anyways, I'm going to take a drink, and then we'll keep reading. And I'm dripping it, okay? <laughs> Let us continue. There are innumerable distractions around us, but if the mind is not disturbed by them, I would not worry about them. But if the slightest desire for worldly objects creeps into my mind, I would not feel at ease. I will feel at ease only when I drive away that desire from my mind. My nature is such... Hence, I thought over the question, what is the reason that the mind of a devotee is disturbed? And then I thought of mind, intelligence, consciousness, and ego, or mana, buddhi, chitta, ahankar, to be the reason. But I found that even consciousness, or uh, excuse me, conscience, is not responsible for this disturbance. There is the force of conviction in the divine image of God, or the power of Atmanan, the knowledge of self, behind the conscious. But because of this, it does not remain on guard, and thinks that it has now nothing more to achieve when God is realized. 
the conscience can be held responsible only to this extent. In fact, the five cognitive senses are more at fault, and I will explain this in detail. Sorry, sorry my stumbling of words, stumbling over words, pronouncing words. So there are distractions around us, and we may think it's from our mind or our intelligence, but that's not necessarily the case. If we are facing distractions and we are aware of those distractions, whatever they are for you, I, we all have different distractions, um, different things that are pulling us away from God. Um, I remember talking once to this girl online who lived abroad and her husband was Muslim and said Krishna consciousness is horrible. So she was trying to figure out a way to study Prabhupada without him knowing. That's a distraction. Um, I work eight hours a day. How can I find time for God? You know, I don't have kids, but if I did, that would be work and kids and taking them here and there. How can I find God, time for God? That's a distraction. So whatever it is. If you were serious about finding God, though, ask yourself, as Bhagavan did, where are those distractions from? Where are they coming from? And how can I work with them? They may be from your intellect or whatever, but they may also be coming through the senses. So let us see what he says about those senses. Suppose a person relishes various kinds of distasteful dishes. The different items have different tastes, and different qualities. These different tastes and qualities influence his conscious and body differently. Even a devotee of God, if he consumes hemp, forgets his five sacred vows under its intoxicating influence and forgets the worship of God. The influence of different types of food is also harmful, like the influence of hemp. There is no end to its harmful effects. Similarly, the various kinds of sounds heard by a person also have innumerable qualities which influence the conscious of the person. I, I remember, this is from my life, and that last bit about sounds, uh, being that I'm a music lover and a musician, that, that plays a big thing for me. Uh, let's see, my brother was getting married, and I was 12 years old at the time, and my parents and I were staying in his house, uh, his apartment, while he was getting married, and he, he was hardly there, but we were staying with him, and uh, one afternoon, he was out doing something, we were just hanging out in the house waiting for him, and he was like, play whatever cassettes you want. Yes, I've dated myself. So <laughs> I picked up one that I had heard about because uh, I was getting into music, and it was George Michael's Faith album. Excellent album. And a wonderful singer, God rest his soul. And uh, I was playing it. Gotta have faith, blah, blah, blah. It's a great song or whatever. And I'm not your fault, not father figure. Um, 
something monkey on your back, whatever, and it goes on. And then it hits this song, I want your sex. I want your sex, whatever, baby. And I remember it starting to play, and I'm sitting there, you know, little me. I honestly knew nothing about sex, sexuality, gender, whatever. I knew nothing about nothing. I was very naive. And I remember my mom and father both kind of getting this, uh-oh, what is it? What, 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 what? And they started listening. They hadn't heard this before. And, and my mom said, you know, you should shut that off. Why? It's good. It's a great album. It's a great song. No, no, you should shut that off. It's, it, or she, I forget what it was. She was like, yes, it's a nice song, but uh, you shouldn't listen to it. Uh, or, or when you're older, or I'll explain it to you, or something like that. And I shut it off. And I was a little disappointed because the groove on this album is, just, it's, it's a really good album. And I didn't, I didn't get it. I, I didn't quite understand. But she was basically, you know, going, what this text is telling us, the influence of that music, of this guy singing, I want your sex, and I want to screw with you, and I want to do all this, and it is a very crass song, would influence or potentially influence my 12-year-old mind. Now, I didn't listen to a lot of music like this. Um, my mom often would buy the albums that I was listening to, and I was listening to like a lot of blues and folk music, and, and honestly, I was so naive that when Def Leppard came out with Pour Some Sugar on Me, I wondered why you would want sugar on your body, because then it gets sticky, and that's just gross. Why would you want to eat off a person? You know. So I, I, I don't know if I would have been influenced by this George Michael song, but it was the potential of being influenced by it. And I think that's very important, the potential of. We we often, you know, we talk about things in society, well, you shouldn't do this, or you shouldn't listen to this, or, you know, when you're older, you can listen to it, that's fine. But but we lose the thing of, yes, maybe listening to that song may not have bothered me, but it was the potential. Maybe I'd then say, Mom, I, wanna, I want this album, you know, because I had said that, I'd heard a Beach Boys album at a friend's house, and I was like, I, I kept bugging her, get me a Beach Boys album, until she did. And uh, so maybe I would have bugged her. I want this George Michael album. And then I would hear the song. It was the potential of where that could go. And she saw that, even if that wasn't necessarily the philosophy she had in her head. She, for her, it was probably just an age-appropriate thing. But it is the potential of when we take these things, where can we go? And that, that he doesn't say that here directly. But to put it in our life, to take this scripture and make it relevant to us, I think that's a word we have to consider, the potentiality of what we are doing, how will this affect us. We usually don't think about things like potentiality. We don't want to, or we think we've already figured something out. But but you never know. And, and it's easy for us to read one thing, and we didn't think anything of it, but then we read something else, and then we go someplace else, and before you know it, we're watching porn every day. Well, it didn't start out that way. But the potentiality could have lured us into that. We thought we would never become addicted to porn. No, we just watched it once at a friend's house. Well, now we're now it's all the time. Now our brain is corroded. We never we never see that. It's so easy to forget that potentiality. Likely because Maya 
likes to not have us see the future, not have us see things. You know, we think, okay, uh, I'm just going to smoke hemp, he says, or, but in our world, it's pot or marijuana. Um, uh, maybe you do heroin, uh, whatever it is. I'm just going to have one toke or I'm just going to have one beer. It's, it's not a big deal. It's just one beer. That's what a friend of mine says. He just happens to have one beer every day and wonders why he's not losing weight. And then, well, he has another beer later on, sometimes when one of his, you know, neighbors calls. But that's different because he didn't buy the beer. Someone else did. And then it's now two beers a day, really. These things, they creep up on us if we, if we, don't, if we don't think about it. Potentiality. Potentiality is, is, is a way to break through Maya. Anyways, there's a story from my life and music, <laughs> keeping it down to earth. Let us move on. Suppose a person is an assassin or an adulterer or an adulteress or someone who violates the bounds of good conduct as prescribed by the holy scriptures. You should not listen to the talks from the mouth of such a sinful soul. His talks or her talks are like the consumption of hemp or liquor. He degenerates the consciousness of the listener also. He makes the listener forget his sacred vows and worship of God. That is a huge one. It's so huge that Bhagavan repeated it in the Shiksha Patri, his rules for, for living. Don't listen to sinful talk. Sorry. Don't listen to talks from sinful people. And that may seem, and I'll be honest, the first time I read it, I'm like, what's the big deal? What's the big deal? But it actually, it's one of those things. Because, yes, you're listening to one talk by, I don't know, let's say some uh, scholar who does not believe in Krishna, does not believe the Vedas or Srimad Bhagavad or anything else is real. It's just a scholar who has researched Sanatana Dharma and is discussing the history, but none of this stuff is real for this, this scholar. And, and they're giving you a talk on the Mahabharata. It's an interesting talk. And they go, well, the Bhagavad Gita, it's not true. It's just a good little theological treatise. But, you know, um, when you compare it to the Bible or the Quran or whatever, you know, it's, it's okay. And they tell you that. And then they give you some reasons why, let's say, the Mahabharata isn't true. You may walk away from the talk going, oh, well, that was very enlightening. And it may be. But, as I just said, the potentiality is, what are the chances you might go home and go, you know, I never thought of the Bhagavad Gita as being not real. I'd like to investigate that a little more. And you start researching things. And before you know it, you're researching stuff and find your belief is shaken. That is something that can happen potentially by listening to a talk from somebody who doesn't believe in the scriptures, um, by listening to someone who is uh, not of good conduct, by listening to a preacher who has a bad history. The ideas settle there and you start researching the ideas and before you know it, your faith is, is shaken. 
I speak from experience. I've had my mind converted by reading books by people who were so amazing. I just was like, I'm, I'm, I'm blown away. I just read this book and now I'm converted. I'm going to give you a real example because I think real examples are really good. So I took a college class in uh, Jewish history. I graduated in 2001. And at that time, still talked about was some author, I forget his name. It's actually really well known now, um, who has denied the Holocaust and who has denied basically that Hitler killed us, these Jews. He was one of the, the biggest of the Holocaust deniers out there. One of the biggest, you can probably look them up. And I, like I said, I don't remember what it is, but we had to read one of his books in this Jewish history class. My professor, uh, I don't remember his name, was Jewish. He actually had a background in archaeology in Israel. A good teacher, very good teacher. And I remember we were all shocked by this. Why are you going to have us read a book denying everything you're teaching us? And he goes, so you can understand your enemy. Oh, okay. So he goes, so you can engage in conversations with these people and know where they're coming from. Okay. And I think also so you can see how the world really is being fed garbage. Okay. So we read the book. It's a thick book. It's like 300 pages. I remember it because I remember all of us talking about this book before and after class. Some of us were Jewish. Some of us not. You'd be standing around waiting for the previous class to get out. I'm like, what do you, what do you think of this book? Wow. Uh, it was one of the few times I really remember kids, uh, my fellow students and I, walking out of class and really being sort of taken aback by a book. What happened is when we were all done reading this, we all were like, yep, it's true. Yep, the guy proved his point, and we absolutely all believe that the Holocaust never happened. Literally, we're like, yeah, maybe it did, but God, his arguments are so good. And I remember at least one or two kids had gone to the library to check out other books by him to, to keep that, that idea going because they were so enthralled by that idea that the Holocaust never happened even though many of us, myself included, can verify that it did, or, or I think at least one person had relatives who died in it, or, and we've gone and seen where it's occurred. Yet one book was all it took, and suddenly there's Holocaust deniers. One book. And suddenly folks were like, yeah, I'm, I'm with it. I'm with it. The reading of something in itself I endorse because we should educate ourselves. We should learn what the enemy thinks, but we should be on guard because this is how, to go back to the beginning, how Maya works. Maya fools you with arguments that, yes, you should know the arguments, but you should be self-aware at all times of what is happening to you. Yes, I'm reading this book to understand what my opponents think and to debate ideas. Great. But we should be aware of where Maya takes that and how Maya turns that into something. And now suddenly, we're not arguing with the opponents. We're agreeing with them. See, that's slippery slope, slippery slope. It's little things like this that he is warning us against. And I'm giving you real examples from my life to, to show you, you know, his, his, his advice is so relevant 200 years later. And it may very well be relevant to you once you, you take this advice. Let's continue. I'm going to get a drink first.
in the same way, there are innumerable kinds of touch, and there are innumerable qualities to it also. The touch of a sinner is like consuming hemp or liquor. A devotee of God loses his consciousness and discretion if he touches a sinner. Similarly, there are innumerable objects of sight, and there are innumerable qualities to that also. The sight of a degenerate person also harms, like the consumption of hemp or liquor. It degenerates one's intelligence also. Similarly, there are innumerable kinds of smell, and there are innumerable qualities to this too. If a person accepts a flower or sandalwood paste from a sinner, its smell degenerates one's intelligence like the consumption of hemp or liquor, just as the intelligence degenerates by the contact of a wicked person. It is purified also by the association of God and his saints. The degenerated intelligence becomes pure by listening to the talks of God and his saints and also by touching them. If it is not possible to touch a saint due to the restriction of the sacred vows, one can take the dust from the feet of the great saints and apply it on his forehead and purify his intelligence. Mere sight of a great saint can also purify the intelligence. But one must observe his sacred vows very strictly. Intelligence can be purified even by partaking the remains of the food offered to God and his saints. While partaking the food, one should be careful that he does not violate the restrictions of Varna and the ashram. If food from a person is not acceptable, one must offer only sugar and partake the remains. Even the fragrance of a flower offered to a great saint or the smell of sandalwood paste applied to his body can purify one's intelligence. If one enjoys the objects of the five senses indiscriminately and does not distinguish between good and bad, his intelligence is sure to be polluted even if he is a saint in the category of, of Narad or Sanak. Then what to talk of ordinary persons who are attached to their bodies? Hence, if one lets loose his senses without restrictions and without thinking about proper propriety or impropriety, his conscious is sure to be polluted. If the objects of the senses are pure, his conscious will become pure. And if the conscious is pure, he will constantly remember God. But if the object of anyone of the senses happens to be impure, his conscious also becomes impure. Hence, the objects of the five cognitive senses are responsible for the distraction of the mind of the devotee in the worship of the Lord and not the conscious. And I'm actually going to stop there for the day. And we're about halfway through this Vacham route. So, what we surround ourselves with can uplift us or bring us our downfall. That's the, that's the gist of this, very much simplified. So I said at the beginning of this video that this is the beginning of a course of teaching 
that outlines one spiritual growth. Notice what the first thing is in this outline. Notice what the first lesson is about. It's not about how to see God. It's not about um, what uh, devotion or bhakti or um, serving God or what you should or should not do. The first lesson from Akshabrama Gunatitanan Swami from over a century ago is to be aware of Maya and to be aware of those surrounding us, surrounding you, surrounding me, to be aware of the, the things we drink, to be aware of the foods we take, and, and later it talks about the people, and to be aware, which goes back to what I said earlier, self-awareness. The first lesson is basically, and this is very much simplifying it, to have self-awareness. Do we? Do you? Or is it, as I talked about earlier, a part-time thing? So I have a friend who, um, she, she's been having some uh, stomach issues. And so she was telling me that she's been going off coffee, uh, just completely off of it for a while to see if that's the cause uh, of her issues. And, and I got that. I used to drink three to four cups a day. Now I have one, and it lasts me like three hours. Uh, and and she also, this woman also talks a lot about, you know, healthy eating. And she goes to the farmer's market, I know, and, you know, I got to eat this or, or I'm doing this or I'm doing this diet. In society, we do that a lot with health when it comes to the body. I mean, how many people in your world, wherever you are, maybe yourself, have dealt with eating, dealt with your diet, dealt with your health, have at one point or another changed your eating. You probably have if you're older than, well, gosh, even if you're five years old, your eating is changing. As you get older and you grow up, you eat a lot of junk food, but maybe early on you, you change. So you're naturally always changing your food. But how many of you have struggled with, oh, this, this food and this health issue and whatever? That's, that's a real common thing that I think mostly in society we're rather comfortable with. We're very comfortable talking about the food we eat. We love to talk about food. My friends do. We love to talk about, oh, I'm on this diet or I'm on this or I'm, I'm gluten-free or I'm on the Atkins or I'm trying or whatever. I've just discovered this new We love to do it. It's, it's fun. We enjoy it. We feel like we get something out of it. Also in society, we love to talk about what movies and TV we are watching. Seriously. Whatever it is, wherever you are. I just discovered last year Game of Thrones. I never watched it before, and now I absolutely love it. Even though the ending is like, it's an awesome show. I, I, I just absolutely love it now. And I talked to the uh, people I know who have watched, I'm like, oh, while I was watching, I'm like, I'm on this episode. It's the Battle of the Bastards. 
and they'd be like, oh, yeah, yeah, or oh, whatever, or you've got something coming, or whatever. And it was, it was just, it was great. We love to talk about what we're watching or not watching, or where I work, we're always recommending TV shows to each other, or movies, oh, you should watch this, or whatever. It's enjoyable to us. Or at one point, I, uh, I was out of work about 10 years ago, and I just can't, you know, you can only send out resumes all day long. So I had to kind of keep myself going. So I got really into Bollywood. I was just going to the library. They had like such a collection of Bollywood films. And I would check out, oh, Shadow Khan. Oh, there's another one. I like him. Or, or, um, and I, and I found different actresses I liked and, and different actors. And, and, uh, I, I can't remember her name. Um, but so Kajal, I became just like really into her. And anytime I, I'd go through the things like, is there any other Kajal movies here? Um, I can't remember the actress's name, but she was with Shah Rukh Khan in the movie where he played, he was a midget and, and, and she's in the wheelchair. Oh my God. I fell in love with her at one point because I thought she was so beautiful. So I was like watching like, okay, is there any movie here? And I would just put every single one out looking for her. And I got really into Bollywood. And I have a friend who lived in India. And he is a, not an expert on Bollywood, but probably as close as you can get on the history of Bollywood from being an American. And I would email him like, oh, I just watched this movie with whatever. And, and this was great. Um, and, and Raw won. I can see why it was famous, but whatever. And I just was so into it. And I love talking about it. And then he would recommend more movies to me. And I would just have to find, figure them out or find them and, and YouTube and whatever. We love doing that. We love talking about TV shows and movies. And we love going, oh, yeah, that wasn't a good series. I'm not going to invest time in that actor again. I didn't like that actor. But I like that one. It's really easy for us. And we feel like, oh, if I watch things with that actor, I'm getting a good experience. Versus this other actor, not so much really easy for us to do that but when it comes to religion it's a different ball game i really think it is when it comes to religion i think we, we aren't so free-flowing with this and that or oh you shouldn't read this book for your spiritual growth or you should read that book for your spiritual growth uh it's a whole different thing we, we don't we're very cautious about it. It's not like, hey, you should watch Game of Thrones. No, uh, you should read the Satanic Bible. It doesn't roll off the tongue quite so easily. You know what I mean? Am I the only one that feels like, like when it comes to, when it comes to the world that we live in and the entertainment we have and the stuff we like, we love delving into that or changing it. Who does, has not wanted to discover a new food or take a food out? Or, or my friend was more than happy to remove coffee from her daily routine. She was actually celebrating it. But yet, if I said to her, have you read the Shikshapatri or the Vakshamrutam? Oh, well, I'll put, it on, I'll, I'll put it on my list of books to read. No, I'm not really interested. I actually had someone say to me the other day, yeah, I'm not really interested in religion. It doesn't interest me at all. So you've literally cut out a huge swath of history and culture and world. And, and philosophy, if you don't like religion. And, and then to talk to someone about religion, it'd be like, oh, well, I have my views and I'm very spiritual and, and well, I don't want to hear from you. We aren't so open to change and 
doing new things. When it comes to religion, sometimes we are. Sometimes we're almost too open. I, I, I talk about all the time on this channel, friends of mine who have the guru of the month syndrome. Every month there's a new guru. And that guru is always in agreement with them. And when that guru is not, well, they get another one. You're almost a little bit too open. It, it is really interesting how Maya works. Maya enraptures us in this whatever, wraps us up in something, a cocoon, and entertains us. But when it comes to the things that really matter, which is this stuff, I believe this matters so much. I believe Lord Krishna is one of the greatest things. The purpose of life is to be a servant of God. That is my belief, 100%. This is the greatest thing. Those are the, it's like that. Those are the things we, I don't know. No, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm not, no, 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 no. Do you know what I mean? The ideas are in my head. They may not be coming out quite like I want to relay them to you, but you get, you get what I mean? Are, are you getting, are you getting anything? I don't know. I hope you are. I'm going to bring this to a close now. I often like to read the scriptures. I mean, I, I do enjoy reading them on this channel. And I've loved the year that I've spent reading them. And there's another year planned, and there's so much more to do. I'm not ending anytime soon. But I also love trying to find how they relate to us. That's why I use these examples. Because I think so often we read a religious text, whatever it is, whatever the religion. And we're like, yeah, that seems so uh, not relevant to the present day. <laughs> or, yeah, well, you have to put it in context of the Holy Roman Empire, and, and I don't live there, so it isn't. Or, mm, that seems like a bit extremist. You know, if he'd had Wikipedia, I'm sure this would have been different. We have a tendency to push religious texts they're not relevant to us they don't we don't want them irrelevant so i love to find things to to remind you and that that's really all i'm doing is to look for how the texts are relevant to you yes it's 200 years old but this text is alive and well and if you haven't read it you should read it because it is so relevant to the present day. and i say this all the time because i seriously believe it but it's easy to get lost in the history of it. Oh, and this was written in, and this was his, this was whatever. But it's a great text because it wasn't written for someone in Gujarat, India, in whatever year. It's a holy text. The the Srimad Bhagavatam is amazing because today, and I say this all the time in the videos, it is still alive and well, and just as relevant. So I give these examples as really just a reminder. If you feel yourself being drawn down with the scriptures, like, oh, this is so heavy theology. Oh, I can't take it anymore. Oh, this is so boring. Try to relate it to yourself. I willing, I'm willing to bet, I'll bet money, maybe, <laughs> uh, that you can relate it to yourself. And then it will just open it up. It'll just be like, oh, my gosh, you know. Anyways. Your thoughts, your comments, 
we will pick up next week the second half of of this chapter uh, and move forward in this class for spiritual seekers for anyone and and uh, just see where we go with this. So that being said, thank you for the support for this channel when you're on trying to make it better, trying to always improve it. We'll see where we go. Um, we'll see how this microphone works. This is one one improvement. And I wish you well. And I love your comments. Please continue to do so. If I'm slow responding, I, I just get busy. And also, YouTube has a weird way of notifying me that comments come through. Sometimes it tells me, and other times I have to go and dig for stuff to see if there's new comments. But I, I do enjoy them. And you can find this here on YouTube, BitChute, Spotify, uh, BitChute. Yeah, that's it. If there's another forum that you like, let me know. I would be happy to investigate that. doesn't take much time to move something to a fourth, fourth venue or whatever. So until next week, uh, thank you. I wish you the best. And uh, may God enlighten you and may God guide you. And if you are seeking God, there is a God. He has a form and substance and he is there to be found. And you will find him if you are serious in your search. You must be serious. If you want to learn how to play guitar or bass like I have, you must practice every day or weekly. If you don't, your skills just fall apart. I know. You can't learn a chord today. You can't learn the, the B chord today and then next month learn the F. And then like six months later, learn the G. Because you won't go very far. Besides the fact that those chords don't really go together, you won't even know that. You have to work at it, work at it, work at it. And you're always going to struggle. You're always, and guitar players will tell you this. For the longest time, I couldn't do the, the uh, uh, F chord. And now, oh, it's easy. Because they did it, they did it, they learned. Typing, if you want to learn how to type, you can't learn two or three letters today and then a month learn two or three others. You have to work on it and work on it work on it. And then eventually you're like, wow, how do I do 90 words a minute? That's amazing. I took a typing class in high school, I know. And I can type over 100 words a minute if I'm going really focused. But when I started, I, I couldn't. I was like, dot, 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 one. Where is it? I don't know where it is. Religion's the same way. But we treat it like something where you can just watch a Deepak Chopra video once every five years. Sorry. You no more can find God. Unless you're one of the few lucky ones, I believe. Just doing that and never thinking about it then I can learn to play bass by just picking up once every five years and learning one chord every five years. This is a search. It should be one of the most important things in your life. Trust me, and I know my words are strong, maybe a little opinionated, but from my experience, I think it's the greatest journey that you'll have in your life. It's the greatest thing you'll do is to look for God and it will open doors and you will find yourself in the process. 
And to know yourself is what God wants for you. So then you can go out and be the tool that God needs you to be to make the world a better place. I say, God, though for me, that's Krishna who walked this earth. So let's do this journey together. And until next week, thank you for watching. Jai Sri Swami Narayan. Jai Shri Krishna. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. Krishna Krishna. Hare Hare. Hare Rama. Hare Rama. Rama Rama. Rama, Rama. Hare Hare.